Please shout amen. Amen. You may be seated in the house of God. How many feel revival in this place this morning? And how many say, Ma, Senor, more Lord, more Lord. Well, I thought I would be giving a different report about the Asbury revival up until just a few hours ago, but I have to put a yellow flag on the play, and that doesn't mean don't be a part of it or pray for it, but I do have a yellow flag on the play. Can I, can I throw a yellow flag as your pastor? I uh, was uh, out to eat one time, and a waitress got my order wrong, and she said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I didn't hear you say X, Y, and Z, and I said, it's okay, I'm a pastor, I'm used to people not listening to me. Little pastor joke right there. I'm a parent of six looking at two of mine. I'm used to people not listening to me. It's up to you whether you listen to me or not. Here's the yellow flag on the play, and I hate to be the, the Debbie Downer, the party pooper, because I've, I've been down with it. Like, if you don't know what's going on, God is moving in a Methodist seminary, and God used the Methodists a long time ago to do great revivals and works in the land. Over their chapel, it says, holiness to the Lord, and that was a theme of the Methodists. I, myself, take a lot of what I do from the Methodists. The early Pentecostals were holiness, holiness Methodist preachers. A great history goes into that. And what happened was, you know, a chapel there at their Bible college, and then prayer meetings and confession of sin, and it's been going on for hours and hours and days on days, and they're coming up on a week, and, uh, you know, I think over the weekend, they had 20,000 people there, and the the chapel can only fit a 1,000. So this is amazing. This is exciting. This is awesome, right? How many are excited about that? And, uh, you know, everybody there is loving Jesus. This is, this is a no-brainer. This is God. Let's go for it. I mean, that's just the way I was and still am in a lot of ways, but I'm just throwing a, a yellow flag here. It seems like, and you can check out my Facebook page, uh, go to Joe Wyrostic, the one, the only, the original. Uh, don't fall for the invitations. Anybody asking you to send uh, money or, you know, get money from you in case there's one that's trying to fake my account. I don't think I'm popular enough for that, but anyways, this is the original. And I'm, and I'm, I'm like just chilling, and I start to see that there's the heresy hunters. There's the, the revival police. They're out there, and some of them, you know, I just, I listen to them just to get what I can from what they're saying, because I never want to be closed off to the other side, okay? Those of you who know me, like Juan, who's been around the body of Christ for a while, they're good brothers in a lot of ways. It's just we disagree on these things, you know? Some of their problems are, you know, women speaking. So if a woman's preaching, that's a red flag on the play. Don't go there. It can't be revival. Some of the folks I listen to are King James only is. If they're not using the King James, believe it or not, I still listen to those folks. They're Christians. They love Jesus, okay? So they throw a red flag on the play. Uh, you know, charismatic terms being thrown around, deliverance. I guess somebody got set free from demons, etc. And, uh, you know, so those red flags are on the play. Also, some people don't like the worship. They only want hymns. But then something concerning came to my attention, and this is where I'm trying to discern now. So brothers and sisters, please hear my heart in this. We're not coming against the leadership or the, the precious people traveling to go there. Uh, we're even going to sponsor the Govayas to go there tonight to be there for this week. So, th so there, there's nothing like we're trying to say against the people. We're not a conspiracy per, uh, church here. You know, we're not trying to say there's some conspiracy. I'm just throwing out a yellow flag on this because it was going to be something totally different. I was just going to give you a two-second pep talk. Let's go for it, revival year and move on. But now I have to share this. And what it seems like is happening is they were a little loose as a school on how you could be in the LGBT uh, community and go to their school. So here's what the, the rules say is you can't be practicing homosexual, homosexuality or those things, but you can 
say that's your orientation. And that's what I'm getting right now. So I'm going through this. I'm, I'm, just, I'm right there with you learning as we go. And so there's students that are saying, hey, uh, and they may be hijacking with bad motives right now for their own activism because you have to remember the Methodists split over this, homosexuality. They have split. You can do all the research on that, okay? I used to rent, well, this church used to rent a Methodist building and they were pro-homosexual, okay? So sad for John Wesley and his legacy there and the others. So what it seems like they're doing, these folks are pointing out the LGBT um, orientated people leading in the revival who are students. But then when you go to their Twitters, what they're saying is we're celibate and we're not acting in it. So we're, we're celibate, we're not acting in it, and as of now, we're affirming the biblical one-man, one-woman marriage. Like, so they're affirming it because that's according to their code of conduct, but they're getting all giddy about people with these orientations leading worship, okay? Does everybody see why there's a yellow flag here? So my thing is, right now, what, what Asbury just needs to do simply is just come out and say, we're not down with this. Like, we're not cool with this. They're hijacking this. They're using this for their own activism. And, you know, if that were to be true in that way they're describing it, then we just had worship led by same-sex attracted or bisexual people because that's what some of our worship leaders were, okay? You know, and they've testified about that. But once again, our worship leaders don't identify like today, that's what they are. So uh, one of these young men's Twitters, and I'm, I'm talking with them directly, and I'm on the Facebook page of Asbury, so yes, are you reaching out to them? Yes, I am. Amen. So don't think that your pastor afraid of the smoke. Amen. I bring the smoke. I go to the smoke. I'm not afraid of the smoke. I come out smelling like barbecue. You ever been around the barbecue smoke? We smoking it in Jesus' name. Okay, so we do. However the kids call it, these I'm on it. I got the receipts. I got the smoke. I'm in the smoke and all that. Okay, now going back to this. Uh, I listened to one of the young men's testimonies. I'm, I'm understanding it now. I'm not trying to. There's no reason to lie. I don't want to be a liar. Bear false witness, okay? But what it seems like Asbury just needs to do is go, yeah, this is our policy. We're a big school. We can't keep up with everybody's Facebook posts, and we, uh, we uh, repudiate this. We're not down with this. We don't want people coming to our chapels thinking the people leading are still identifying in their sin. Because I wrote on Asbury's post as a student there is, is, is discussing with me, and he's in agreement with us that this shouldn't be being done, and I'm showing him to go look at what I have. And that one of these young men's Twitter uh, feeds says he's SSA, same-sex attractive, gay, and then he says he's a student at seminary, or was, you know, like, so he's involved in this in some way, and he's the one posting up going, yes, we have uh, people praying at the altars that are queer and this and that. So, so what Asbury simply needs to do is go, hey, there may be a difference in Christianity about how we handle this because there are Christians, and I do admit this, that disagree with me on how you should refer to yourself after coming out of the sin of homosexuality. There are Christians, I do believe there are Christians, and they think that still identifying that way is a, a part of their nature, and they should identify that way. I disagree. Now, some of you would say they're not even Christians, but here's the reason why I would say they're a Christian, because they, they know that that is a sinful a tendency, but for whatever reason, they want to still orientate or say that's the orientation. So then I said back, should I put as my Twitter feed um, multiple woman attraction, you know? MWA, instead of SSA, same sex attraction, should I put up their multiple woman attraction? So you just know today you're being led by a pastor who's multiple woman attracted. I'm attracted to multiple women. 
So we all find that icky, right? Like, why would Joe identify with the temptation he has? So Asbury, and by the way, that's in check in Jesus' name, amen. It's counted as dead, but it is a temptation. And so for them to, to let's say, thinking the best of them, they bear the Christian cross of not giving into their flesh. Okay, let's say they bear that Christian cross. They're not giving into it. And they affirm the doctrine. It's, it, it is a doctrine. It isn't a secondary issue. This is a primary issue. We break fellowship over this, okay? And they, and, and they say, they say uh, you know, they're fighting their temptation, and they affirm the doctrine of man and woman. Well, then Asbury just needs to clarify and say, we don't uh, want them celebrating their orientation or promoting it. And so now what makes me curious about this, and, and so here's, here's the fork in the road, and what does God do through this, okay? The worst thing Asbury can do right now is ignore people like us. That's the Oompa Loompa move, all right? That, that's, that's the don't do that. That's the cotton-headed ninny-mogging thing. They need to respond to people like myself, Justin Peters, and others that are legitimately bringing up the concern. They need to make a statement, okay? And here's, here's what I think they can do in the fork in the road. They can see this as a part of the genuine revival that I believe is there and see this tightened up in their school and say holiness unto the Lord is now being brought to our attention and we need to have track of our student body so that we don't hinder the move of God with this nonsense. So it's students, stop identifying, you know, if you want to do his, her, him, whatever, you know, that, that, you know that's a whole other thing. But if you're identifying on your social media, according to your temptation, we need you to stop doing that or come under church discipline. That's what I think would be amazing. And then people in the school could get rocked by that and really get delivered from those kinds of things. Uh, the bad move for this would be that they sweep it under the rug, they say it doesn't matter, and then here's, here's my concern here, and then the Christian church says we're just being you know, too technical here. And then that's a problem because now what that's showing me is we're being easily deceived. It is a problem. Like, would you be okay if our worship leaders still had on their Twitter feed, you know, same-sex attractive or bisexual attractive? Like, would you be okay with that? Like, in the church setting, like, no, like, that. why are you identifying as that? Even if that was their struggle, let me just be very clear here since I'm on that subject. I don't think we choose our temptations. I agree that temptations are innate to our nature. And sometimes by our bad behaviors, we introduce ourselves to other temptations. But listen, if someone was to say, I was born this way, I have no problem because I can say, you can be born again another way. Amen? So, so let's just say for them, it was always a part of their attraction. Their, their attraction compass was off. That's okay. We, we, can, we can love you through that. Let's, let's, get the, let's get the repentance going. Let's see what God has planned for you. We're not going to pray the gay away. That, that would just be like you trying to pray away my attraction to multiple females, right? What we're going to do is we're going to crucify that, and we're not going to take pleasure in that. And then here's the other thing. We're not going to celebrate it when we see you doing something, you know, like, like if you're leading worship, I'm not going to celebrate the gay Christian in you doing that. I'm just going to say that's a Christian doing some great things for God. You know, and, I, and at one point, I went through our church leadership, just elders and deacons, and I think about 20% of our elders and deacons had been bi or gay or lesbian, so LGB. Uh, we don't have any transgenders yet that have come to our leadership yet, but some were considering that that are in our discipleship. But we had, uh, last time I checked, about 20, 20%, two out of 10 in our church that had one time identified as bi gay or lesbian. Can I hear an amen for that? But remember what 1 Corinthians, let's put it up there please, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9, but that is what some of you were. So let's just put it on the word. It's clear. That is what some of you were. Now, if they want to say, I am no longer that, 
but I still have the attraction and I want people to be patient with me and love me, that's a whole nother thing. The first thing we would teach that person is do not label yourself, identify yourself then as your weakness. That would be like me identifying myself as an impatient person or, you know, uh, you know what, an old man with uh, peculiar ways. <laughs> I, I, the older I get, the more I understand about the grumpy old man. You know, I used to watch Leave It, uh, not Leave It to Beaver, but Dennis the Menace, and there was like the grumpy old man, or I used to watch a show, you know, when there was a grumpy old man. And I used to wonder, how did those men get to be so grumpy? Didn't they used to be fun? Weren't they cool at one point? And then I realized, like, after you hit 40, you like things a certain way, you know? You like things in your house a certain way, looking at my kids right there. And then you begin to find out that the little things can bother you if you're not careful. Now, once again, that's a temptation of mine, but I don't identify as that. I don't identify as a grumpy old man. Anybody ever seen The Office, Ron? I kind of, I'm turning more into Ron over the years. Not The Office, uh, Parks and Rec. Does anybody else watch TV? Anything here? Okay, not the ones I watch, though, obviously. Notice this. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, and that's what it means. There's no way around it. Sometimes they try to say this is just pederasty or pedophilia or prostitution. No, the orsonokotois Greek word there is sex with men. That's what it means. It's found in the Septuagint in the Leviticus uh, prohibitions as well. So don't let someone who thinks that they have some scholars behind them redefine this. It is clear from the Jewish tradition into the Christian tradition as well in church history that sex with men is wrong. Obviously, sex with children would be wrong for other reasons, but that's not what's being forbidden here as well as prostitution. Nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, and these are all the things that should be preached as sins in the Asbury revival. Amen? That's what John Wesley preached as sin. Okay, They will not inherit the kingdom of of God. Verse 11, let's read the highlighted part together. One, two, three. And that is what some of you were. Amen. So we do not hold to the belief that your identity is what you were. So even in the AA, my name is Joe and I'm an alcoholic, we don't agree with that being the way to get free from alcoholism. We believe that the way to get free from addictions and habits of the past is to confess who you are in Christ. So the way to say that would be, my name is Joe. I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I am holy. I am sanctified. And I have come here for your support and encouragement that I may continue to live as God has called me to live. That's, that's the way we would have an AA meeting. Amen? That's the way we would do it. And in the same way with the same-sex attraction, we would not, uh, let's just be very clear here, we would not want to embarrass them. We do not want to make them feel ashamed. The same hell that that, uh, homosexuals will go to if they continue in this practice is the same hell that Donald Trump will go to for committing adultery if he doesn't repent. So conservatives, liberals, you know, good old boys, you know, and RuPaul will all go to that same place, okay? So that place is not just for big sins and little sins. It's for sinners without Christ. And that is why the Bible says that's what you were. So he's talking to Christians. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's to the saints, to the holy ones in Corinth. That's who we call them, and that's who we are supposed to be. He says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's how this person should be identifying as. So yeah, little, you know, little yellow flag on the play, little blowing of the whistle there. Be careful, be cautious. Let's see where we go from here. Amen. 
And once again, what we saw here today is revival, and I want to see more of it. So let's believe God for I thank God for precious people wanting to serve the Lord. I saw the pictures of all those folks going there. And like I said, 99.99% probably don't even know about this. I didn't even know about this. They're just going because they're hearing God is doing something special. And what that reminds me of is the time in the book of Acts. No big names, no big eyes, little U's, uh, no you know, special things going on. My wife had seen that a famous worship leader had said, well, God gave me a dream that I'm supposed to be a part of it some way. And, uh, you know, like people are responding underneath it going, no, nah, they'll be all right without you. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need you for this one. We, you're good. And then my wife, God bless her heart because she's got, you know, me as a husband. She said, well, I just want to see what she's been up to. So she went on her post and looked at her nearest concert or next date coming up. And it was $300 for a VIP ticket. So what my wife wanted to write underneath there, the little sassy side of her, she wanted to write underneath there, well, why don't you stop charging for your concerts, find a church, give it away for free, and see what God will do. Amen. So if you want what Asbury has, why don't you do what Asbury does? Just give it away for free. Amen. Instead of $300 for a VIP ticket. Let's go to the scriptures. Are you ready? Amen. That was the sermon before the sermon. Go with me to John chapter 14, verse 15. I'll always be faithful to share with you what God has placed on my heart in these areas and issues. And we'll see if I go live later, so keep up to date with that. And my heart is just to be a blessing to the body of Christ. I want to see revival so bad. I want it to be genuine. I want it to spread. I want God to be glorified. And there's so many good things in this, uh, this movement right now. Don't I just pray for them. Let's just pray. Lord, we pray that whatever good you're doing here will not be hindered by those trying to hijack it, if that's actually what's happening. But, Lord, if there's also roots in the leadership that has been allowing this behavior, let it be uprooted out. Lord, let revival come and let those from this community be saved and in the forefront, but not with the identity of a sinful way, but of the identity of being new in Christ. Lord, we welcome them into the move of the Spirit. Lord, we'll let them do so as we all come on our knees, repentant, uh, being made new in you, Father. So we just pray your blessings upon that school and all those who are being touched there by this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's talk about another advocate. I want to talk about a ghost named Holy. Are you guys ready? I believe in a ghost, but his name's not Casper. His name is Holy Ghost. Does anybody else believe in the Holy Ghost today? I believe, in, I believe in spirits. Yes, I do. And I believe in the great spirit. I just believe he's a Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And so as we get here into John chapter 14, verse 15, we get what is the most in-depth teaching from Jesus on the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful for the Apostle John being led by the Lord to write out these words. May these words never get old to us. Those of you who have heard these before, don't let it get old to you. And for those of you it may be new, let this be exciting because you have a helper. You have a comforter. You have someone that is called to be in you and alongside of you. And imagine, my brothers and sisters, hearing this as a Jewish person, as a person who lived in Judaism, not quite understanding what the shaking now was, the glory of God, the kabod, what the ruach was, these powerful moments they would have in their history. Imagine not quite 
getting it, not quite seeing it. And now Jesus beginning to explain, this is who the Holy Spirit is. Imagine being a Jew hearing that for the first time. It would just have to be so amazing because nothing Jesus does is, not, uh, is outside of the basis of the Old Testament. Here's what I want you to think of, uh, how I want you to think about it. The Old Testament is God in his nature concealed in mystery. And the New Testament is God in his nature revealed through history. So you see the mystery, and then you see him revealed in history. And you can go back and go, ah, now I get it. See, that's what the Jewish people were supposed to be doing up until this point with Jesus. They were supposed to be looking back at Genesis 18 and going, ah, now I get it. God is revealed in history. See, before it was concealed in mystery. How did Abraham meet with Yahweh. When Moses was told he can't even see Yahweh's face, how does that happen? Oh, it was the sun that they were seeing. That's what they're supposed to get. And then now, as Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit, they're supposed to now go back over their history and see it revealed. Are you all ready? Amen. John chapter 14, verse 15. It starts off with Jesus keeping it real. If you love me, keep my commands. Let's highlight that first portion. If you love me, keep my commands. So often, people want to make God's love out to be strictly an emotion or a feeling. And that is true. I feel love for God. How many feel love for God? John Wesley talked about that, that the love of God burning in our hearts, that we need to have a fresh fire of love always burning inside of our hearts. And that fresh fire of love will burn away sin. But understand this, it is not just a feeling of love, it is an action of love that the Christian must have. Not just I feel God's love. I felt God's love at my kitchen, at my mother's kitchen table, November 5th, 1995. But by that love, I was moved into obedience. Love without obedience is just a fleeting emotion. Jesus speaks to us very clearly. If you love me, keep my commands. Now go with me quickly to 1 John. 1 John also emphasizes this, and we need to take it serious. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and onward. Notice what John, the apostle John, now writing in his epistle, expounding on these words of Jesus. Notice what he says. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his what? His commands, thank you. Whoever says I know him, thank you, but does not do what he commands is a what? A liar, thank you. And the truth is not in that person. So is it wrong for us as Christians to test people's love by their obedience to Jesus' commands? No, you are not supposed to take people's profession of love at the surface uh, level. You are to test all believers, all people who confess Jesus as Lord. You are to test their confession of faith by their obedience. And the Bible is very clear in the book of James that if they merely say they have faith in God but no works, their faith is 
dead. Thank you for helping me. The Bible says that even the demons believe, and yet they shudder. And so some people are dumber than demons. And I don't mean that to be insulting, but to be a rebuke. Some people interact with the devil, and they think that it's not that big of a deal, and they take his side over God's side, and they'll shudder at the name of Jesus. And so they're siding with those who shudder, and they themselves don't shudder. So think about that. It's a, fool, it's a fool's errand to be a demon, but imagine being a fool following a fool. What kind of fool are you? It's one thing to be Pharaoh, right? That's a fool. It's another thing to be marching behind Pharaoh. How many know at some point you got to say, Pharaoh, you on your own, fool? I'm not going down that road. You know, it's one thing to pity a fool, but what about a fool's fool? Don't ever be a blind person following another blind person. Okay, the Bible teaches us that we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. That's the Bible. The Bible tells us that. Not in those exact words, but you get my point. If you say you know him, if you say you love him, you are to obey him. Why did John say that? Because John is quoting Jesus there. If you love me, you'll obey what I have commanded. Now look at what it says in verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete or perfect in them. Now highlight this part of the verse, please. This is how we know we are in him. So all these folks who say that nobody's like Jesus, nobody can be like Jesus, that's true all before you come into Jesus. Notice what you are supposed to have as a mark in your life to know you are in Jesus. This is how we know we are in him. Sinners are outside of him. They're not like him. We get it. But this is how we know we are in him. Somebody say in him. In him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm in Jesus today. I can live like him. I can live like my spiritual elder brother. Hallelujah. I can do what he did. Amen. I don't have to be bound to sin. That's joyful to my soul. I'm not the same person I once was. Has anybody else here got a shouting testimony like that? I've been set free. Jesus is my, my, my cookie cutter shape, and I'm being cookie cut into his shape today. That, that's the one I'm being molded into. I'm like him. Hallelujah. You see, that's the message of holiness. That Brothers and sisters, so many of you young here, this is not legalism. This is not trying to impress God to get on his good side because he doesn't like you. No, he loves you. He laid down his life for you. He's invited you into himself so that you can have a transformational life. Is he inclusive? Yes, he includes everyone who comes to him in him. He's inclusive. But in his inclusivity, in his inclusiveness, he brings transformation. He doesn't say, come as you are, then stay that way. He says, come as you are and leave like me. Amen? Or be like me, because we never leave. I'm still in them. But you understand, you don't come, you, you, don't, you don't live your life the same way you came. You came as a sinner, but now you're living as a saint. You came as somebody where sin was like your normal default. It's like where you always went. It's like how you built your life. It was your foundation. I was there. We've all been there. But the Bible says now in Christ we have a new foundation. We have a new direction that we're walking in. And for everybody, no matter what your flavor of sin is, that should be good news. 
Brothers and sisters, I've been living that now, getting close on 30 years. How many know God is good? 30 years. I'm two years away from it. Come on, 30 years of God's amazing, amazing grace. He, he doesn't let me down. He keeps his word. And, and I know, I know, somebody's thinking, man, pastor, I wish I could say I've lived for him a year. It's so hard for me right now. Trust me, I've been there. When I was 18 and I was just getting off drugs, alcohol, smoking, partying, you know, those were the sins of, you know, the flavorful sins that I liked. It seemed like, man, living for Jesus a year was so far away. I felt like I was so close to the temptation of backsliding and losing it all. But that's not true, brothers and sisters. God's grace is amazing. It's amazing grace. It's abounding grace. There's grace, as the Bible says, and we've read it before, grace upon grace upon grace. As long, and I just want everyone to hear this, as long as you don't give up, God will work this word in you. Amen? If you work the word, it will work in you. That doesn't mean you're saved by the effort or the work. It just means you're in participation with the divine nature. Please go to 2 Peter chapter 1, please. There is a participation in the in him revelation here. You have to understand. It is not just passive. There is a participating. Imagine, you know, my wife and I were at a wedding, and imagine she wants to dance, but I'm not wanting to dance, you know? And imagine I'm embarrassed to dance because I feel like everybody's going to look at me and how I can't dance. And imagine she kind of pulls me up there, right? At some point, as she starts to sway and move my hips a little bit, because I do the slow dance a little bit better than the fast kind of dances, you know? At some point, I have a decision to make. Do I participate or I just stand still? How many would like to see me participate with my wife and get my dance on? Amen? Maybe I should try that because the church said so. Go to verse 3. But I'm just being honest with you. You wouldn't think of me as being shy, but on the dance floor I get a little shy because I'm not good at it, and I feel embarrassed. It doesn't come natural to me. But I have to make a choice. My wife is calling me. She's beckoning me to come. She's willing to take the lead or at least show me how it's done. Do I now have the heart? It's not so much the ability. Do I have the heart to participate with her? See, that's what God is looking at. He's not looking at the ability. He knows you don't have the ability. He knows you and I can't do it. He'll give us the ability. You've heard those scriptures, greater is he that's in you, right, than he that's in the world. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That, that's what he's going to do. But he wants to see, do you want to dance with the divine? Oh, I want to dance with the divine today. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You'll never lack anything for a godly life, brothers or sisters, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's doing it because he loves us and he's good. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises, promises like never to leave us or to forsake us that will be more than conquerors. He'll lead us through every valley that we face. These are these promises we can hold on to so that through through them, these very great and precious promises, we may what? Participate. Somebody say, somebody say with me, participate. Participate in the divine nature. Hallelujah. Adding syllables there. I think I'm saying it right. Participate. There we go. In the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How many of you have been a Christian long enough to realize that's how it works? Is God pulling you out? You're escaping. You're literally looking at the fire below you. You're getting, you know, taken up, excavated by the helicopter. You're like, how did that just happen? And then you give him all the glory. How many have lived long enough to see that? 
That's what Christianity looks like for me. It's not I rescued myself out of the burning pit. I didn't do the cliffhanger move and hang on, you know, with a couple fingers and then pull myself up out of that pit. No, I was done. He grabbed me right before I went into the fires of hell. And now he's lifting me up. And I'm just looking back at the mess he saved me from. Well, brothers and sisters, that's what Christianity starts like. If that's what it starts like, what do you think it ends like? That's how it ends. There's never a time in the Christian walk where you and I will say, okay, I got this. Let me now take care of myself. No, because the moment you do that, you go right back down. No, you're always in the arms of Jesus. You're always in him. You're always this close, this close. Come on, this close to Jesus. That's what keeps us. That's what enables us to live holy, not some self-effort. Remember, I was rescued, and that's what I want to always be is rescued. Now, will he teach us disciplines and self-control and wisdom and maturity? Yes, all of those things will come to pass, but none of them will ever count for the rescuing. In my relationship with Christ, I will always be grateful and forever in debt to the grace and the forgiveness of God. Amen? When he gives us rewards on Judgment Day for the things that we did out of obedience, that was really just his strength through us. But it was our choice to allow him to do those good works in our life. That's why you can go to Christian and not look like one. Sometimes people, they don't look like one. They don't act like one. And God is gracious because they still loved him, right? Like they believed in him. I'm not trying to say that you should try this because that can get kind of dangerous, all right? Ask Samson how it went for him when he compromised, okay? But yeah, there's Christians that can go to heaven. They didn't really live for him. They didn't have victory. All they had was that confession of faith. And thank God for his grace. But there won't be many rewards. And the Bible talks about that. That it will be as if they just got saved by missing the flames of hell. But when I go to heaven by God's grace, I want to see rewards. How many want to see rewards of you participating with Jesus and you being obedient to Jesus in all things, not just the basic things so you could get to heaven? Can I hear an amen? Amen. So obey him in all things. Show him that you love him. Now, as we get into the discussion about the Holy Spirit, verse 16 and onwards, I hope that you enjoy this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you for how long? Forever. The Spirit of what? truth. Now, brothers and sisters, just that right there could keep me for the rest of the day. I don't know how much I'll get through in this passage today, but let's just stop right here and see how far we can get. Who is the I speaking in verse 16? Jesus. And he's speaking about asking the Father to send another advocate. How many see the Trinity right there? So any discussion that takes away the belief of the Trinity from the book of John obviously is a bad interpretation. Jesus is not talking to himself, and he is not less than the Father. He's equal to the Father, and he is not the Father. That's why we believe in the Trinity. Some people say, well, show me that in the Bible. Well, you know, show me your name in the Bible. You know, most people's names are on the Bible. Show me a car in the Bible. You know, we could play this game all day. That's not how we come up with theology. Show it to me exactly word for word. What we're looking for word for word is what we're calling a doctrine. Tri-unity. Is that word for word in the scripture? Absolutely. There's an I talking to a father. That I is Jesus. So here you have the son and the father. And the father is going to give another. Now notice that word I have there uh, italicized. You can uh, underline it in your Bible. It is Elias, and it means another of the same kind. 
So I, Jesus, says, I'm going to ask the Father, and who has the right to do this except one equal with the Father, right? To send another who is just like, what? Me and the Father, who's just like us, to be with you forever. Go with me to 1 John again, to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus is called an advocate. In the King James, it's comforter, parakletos in the Greek. So comforter, advocate, helper, all of these words come from that Greek word, parakletos. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a what? An advocate, a parakletos, a helper, a comforter, a person coming alongside to defend and to strengthen us with the Father, Jesus Christ. Now notice, he's the righteous one. Going back to John chapter 14, verse 16, I, Jesus speaking, will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. How many want to see God revealed in history by going back to the Old Testament now? You want to say, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. How many remember the Spirit of God there? The Spirit of God was there, right? Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the what? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then verse 3, and God said, there you go, the Father through the Holy Spirit via the spoken word of Jesus Christ, creation, the Trinity, and the first few verses. Who is the us that we're going to learn about later? Let us make mankind in our own image. There is the us, the Father known as God, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God. Hallelujah. But there we see the Spirit of God. Oh, there he is. That's the Spirit of God. Now, people at that time would ask good questions. Well, what is or who is the Spirit of God? Is the Spirit of God a person or merely a force or a person with a force? Are you a person with a force? Yeah, you are a person with a force. Just high-five somebody with some force right now. Come on, high-five them right now. You're a person with a force. So people oftentimes want to debate, is he a person? Is he a force? How about a person with a force? But he's not merely a force. Sometimes you get Star Wars theology circulating around. Everybody wants to be spiritual. I believe in the force, you know. Hey, a force doesn't have a mind. God has a mind. The Spirit of God has a mind. Amen? And so when we look, I said amen. Amen. So the Spirit of God is not merely a force, though he has force. He is a person. And so, but we don't learn that right there. We don't learn that right there. We have to go further into the narratives of Scripture. Let's go to the book of Job, which could predate the writing of the books of uh, the Torah. The, the Pentateuch here, the first five books, were written by Moses during the Exodus. And, of course, they go back all the way to the beginning. But Job might have been written in a timeline earlier than Moses in the Exodus. How many understood what I just said there? Okay, so... Job may be the first Christian, uh, the first Jewish writing being penned to paper. Job chapter 26, verse 13. How did these ancient patriarchs understand the Holy Spirit? Let's put some more meat on the bones. By his breath, the skies became fair, his hand pierced the gliding serpent. Wow, his breath has power. So Jesus is known as the Word. You see that being a description of the Son. But now when we get to the description of the Holy Spirit, we get ruach, we get breath. 
Now, we all have breath. Some of us have hot Cheeto breath. Come on, anybody got coffee breath this morning? Need a mint? Flick it over here to you. But the breath of the Father is the Spirit of God proceeding from him. Isn't that powerful? Job spoke about the breath of God. Now go to Job 33, verse 4. What else does Job say in this ancient writing? Maybe during the same time of Abraham. Remember, Moses tells the story of Abraham, but he's come much later. This is during that time of the patriarchs, we believe. Job chapter 33, verse 4 says, The Spirit of God has what? Made me. Well, hold on. I thought it was God's hands that made you when, when you were in dust. You know, speaking about humanity here. Oh, yeah, but hold on. Don't you remember he breathed into them? Wow. So here you see the Spirit of God being given the same attribute of creator. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Do you all remember the breath being breathed in? I do when I read the scriptures. Now go to Isaiah chapter 32, verse 15, fast forwarding now to the latter prophets of the Old Testament, seeing some of these mysteries that are now being revealed in history. It was concealed, now it's revealed. Isaiah chapter 32, verse 15, till the Spirit, talking about when they should look for, how they should look for deliverance, until when, how long should they pray, how long should they go after God, how long should they be in repentance and a form of revival like what we're talking about even now, till the Spirit is poured on us from on high. Wow. So these ancient Jews knew that you pursue God, you go after God's word, you repent of your sins, you do what is right until what? The spirit is what? Poured out. Now you have another image there being poured out. You all see that? Being poured out like water. You saw the image of breath. Now you see the image of water. Go to Isaiah chapter 11, same book. Isaiah speaking a lot about the Holy Spirit. Is it any wonder? No, he's the same one that speaks a lot about the Mashiach, the Messiah. So Isaiah is a key prophet in understanding the nature of God. These prophecies will come to pass through Jesus. In other words, the Father will send Jesus, and the Father and Son will send the Holy Spirit. Jesus will explain the Father, and then Jesus with the Father will send the Spirit so we can know more about the Father and Son. There will be a circle of love. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. How many know Jesus was the son of David? Coming from Jesse's lines, that was David's father, Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Notice that. He's not only the stump, but he's also the root. As we've heard, he's the fruit and the root. And now listen to how the Spirit of the Lord is described. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. Can I hear an Amen. So what is the Holy Spirit like? The Holy Spirit is like wisdom, like understanding, counsel, power. Somebody say power. Thank you. Knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Turn with me now quickly to Isaiah chapter 63 verse 9. Notice what Isaiah sees here. Isaiah can look back at the story of the Exodus and he sees the triune God in action, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Notice this in verse 9. Talking about the Israelites, in all their distress, he too was distressed. Talking about the Father. And the angel of his presence saved them. Who was, for the Israelites, the angel of his presence? Jesus. Come on, are you all paying attention to Bible class? Do I need to rewind a little bit and go back? 
Everybody track with me. Remember when we learned with Jacob, it was the angel of the Lord that guided him. The angel. But yet the angel is called God. The God of Bethel. But I thought he met with an angel. Remember we learned that angel simply is just a role that anyone can play. I can be an angel. It means messenger. The Bible calls people messengers, angels, malachs, angelos in the Greek. God can be a messenger from the Father, uh, the Son coming from the Father. He can be a messenger. You all tracking with me? And angelic beings that we know are created in heaven to be spirit beings that bring messages like Michael and Gabriel. They can be messengers. So notice here, we see in the Exodus, God the Father is distressed because they're not listening to the angel of his presence who saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his force. They rebelled and and grieved the force of electricity. No, they rebelled and grieved his what? Holy Spirit. So he turned, talking about God. This is a scary thought here. So he turned and became their enemy. You don't want God to turn and become your enemy. And he himself fought against them. Do not have God as your enemy. Trust me, you will not win. Amen? Brothers and sisters, how many know this is a great place to preach to the Jewish people, to those who don't understand the Trinity? Sometimes when I talk to people who are... um, you know, only dealing with those who have a low-level understanding of the Trinity, they think that we can only show the Trinity in the New Testament. No, my brother or sister, I can show it through the entire Bible from beginning to end. The triune nature of God is clearly being seen in the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, let me show you the Bible actually says that about itself. Go to Romans chapter 1, and then we'll get ready to close out. My alarm clocks are going off. The baby's getting restless. Amen. How many happy for babies in church? Amen. I've been waiting to say that joke for a while. Sometimes I'm so fired up in preaching, I don't say it, but it's like in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm going a while. I give, man, if they, if they can last a half hour, God bless them. Amen. Give them ice cream today. Trust me, we understand. We use that back room all the time, so never feel bad. We're happy that you're here. And anytime you want to start a co-op, talk to one of our elders and deacons. We're always good with that. If you guys want to rotate to have Sunday school back there. Look at Romans chapter 1. Look at something that we often overlook, but I want you to see this in verse 18. Notice this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their what? Their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is what? Plain to them. What may be known about God is plain to them. What do we mostly use that scripture for? To show to the atheists and say, you know, something can't come from nothing, right? Like that's how we normally use it. It's plain to you. Look at the baby in the womb. And thank you all for your prayers. We got our first heartbeat. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's keep going all the way. I mean, it's amazing. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. So notice what the scripture says. People who deny God are suppressing it. It's obvious. It's like trying to hold a ball in water. It's coming up, right? Since what may be known about God is plain to them, and we would all agree with that. Most of you already have that understanding of this verse. Let me go a little bit deeper. Keep going. Because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and what? Divine nature 
have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Put that in the King James and get the King James Old English, the Godhead. See, the divine nature is a little bit too ooey-gooey. You, it's good in some ways to understand just divine nature. Like, okay, God's divine and he has a nature and it happens to be the Father, Son, and the Spirit. But there's something special about that King James word, the Godhead. And the reason why that's important is because in the Godhead, highlight it please, there is authority from the Father to the Son to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, and I agree with this, I do, listen, I'm one of these weirdies that actually believe the Bible, I believe that the doctrine of the Trinity is also in nature. Now, some might say, well, Joe, I'm, I, I'm there with you. I can show water being, you know, vapor, and I can show it being solid and a liquid. But that's not exactly what I mean. But that is close. That is close because you got to be careful when you use those examples because the Holy Spirit is three simultaneously. Uh, the, the Godhead is three simultaneously, okay? And they're like frozen in time, not changing. So this one's always the vapor. This one's always frozen. This one's always liquid. If you want to go to that example, others use the egg. You have the shell. You have the yolk. And then you have the white part. What is the white part called? Egg white. Thank you. Egg white, yolk, and shell. There we go. But once again, the shell is not in the same substance. Track with me here. The shell is not the same substance of the yolk, correct? You eat the yolk, you don't eat the shell because they're not of the same substance. In the triune nature of God, Father, Son, Spirit, they're of the same substance. Others have pointed to, and and St. Patrick did this as well, the three-leaf clover. But the problem of that, they're separated and only joined at the bottom part, not in perfect unity. So you see how these things lack to show the exact replication of the Trinity. And here's the question. Why should we expect to see the exact replication of the Trinity in his creation? In other words, how could the creation hold the image of God perfectly? We're just the reflection of him. How could we, re- how could we be exactly like him? Otherwise, then we would be God. See, God maintains a uniqueness about him that the creation only reflects poorly like the three-leaf clover, the egg, water, steam, and ice. Does everybody get that? Because God is genuinely unique. Anyone that tries to reduce God to the three-leaf clover has made an idol, okay? The truth of God is greater than that, but that's not even what I mean, even though that's cool. That's cool. I know I get it, but that's not even what I mean. What I mean when the Bible says here that you can understand his eternal power in Godhead, I believe all of us in our heart have an understanding of this, that there is the nature of God that we cannot interact with. The Father that is so much greater than anything we could ever imagine. How many have an understanding of that? You look at the universe and you're like, there's just no way I could comprehend God. Like, there's just no way. That, whoever made this is greater than this. I can't even come close to understanding that. How, how many get that idea? What you have just understood is the Father. You have just understood the Father, right? I think everybody can do this, even naturally on the streets. Second thing, how many believe God is closer to you than the air you breathe? How many believe God is like a best friend? He's always there with you. He's got your back. He'll help you when you're down. He's there to lift you up. That's the Son. How many, just even before you even became a Christian, had a knowledge of that? Like, okay, there's a God, he's big, but then I also sense God is close. Come on. I believe God put that in our hearts. And then the third thing, how many believe God has power? How many believe God can change things? Like move and rearrange things at any given moment. Like with his breath, do stuff. That's the Holy Spirit. I believe that creation was made to understand the Trinity in those basic understandings.
There's a person of God that is greater than anything we could ever imagine. We're not even worthy to be in his presence. And some religions accent that, like Islam. They want to accent that attribute. And we understand that in the Father. Yet they deny the Son. See, then there's another part where we grow up and we understand we need a helper. We need an advocate. We need someone alongside of us. And some of you, let's be honest, some of you were talking to yourself even as a sinner, but you were talking to Jesus. Because there was a part of you that was just crying out for help. You wanted someone to hear those thoughts of yours. I was there, but I was born a Christian, so I can't say I totally didn't understand that. But I know I've heard it from others of you that you would just talk to yourself throughout the day and you felt like someone was listening to you. That's the understanding of the Son. And then there were times and people called in the world manifesting or the idea that you could change the world you live in, that something was able to be shifted and moved. They call it magic in the, you know, in the fiction world and all of these things. But you understood that there was something that could be changed. That was the understanding of the Holy Spirit. Now, does it go much deeper than that? Absolutely. But I believe that God made us to understand the family of God in that way, to understand the greatness of the Father, that one that Moses says, if I could just, you know, see your face, God, it would be all be worth it. And then the Father goes, no one can even see me and live, but I'll pass by you. And that's the closest I believe we got on the earth of anybody getting close to the Father, is the Father goes, I'll just pass by you, right? But Jesus is there the whole time with Moses, Jesus is in the tent of meeting. Jesus is there. And then what did they see as the power, the cloud by day, the fire by night, the Holy Spirit? They're experiencing the Trinity every time they go to the temple. They experience it every time they move. And here's Jesus on earth. Going back to our notes in closing, please. Whoever was at the keyboard, please come. I, I told you I didn't think we'd get very, very far. How many are learning something today? We got two verses into it. Come on. <laughs> Praise God. There's a lot there, isn't there? But I believe the disciples are starting to recognize it right now. They're like, wow, we've heard the Father speak, but we don't see him. Remember, they, some of them were there at the baptism. Others were there at the mountain of transfiguration. They go, man, we hear the Father speak, but we don't see him. But we know you've come from the Father. That makes sense. Okay. But then Jesus goes one step further and says, hold on, I'm going to send another. He's like the Father, and he's like me. But here's the difference between me and the Father with the Holy Spirit. He's going to be in you and with you forever. Because, brothers and sisters, think about this. The literal body of Jesus. If you are a true Christian, you must believe in the physical resurrection. How many believe he physically raised from the dead? And how many believe he still has that body today? He still is the offspring of day. We, God and man in one, right? So he hasn't stopped being man. Where is that physical body today? I was just watching Iron Man with my family. And Iron Man, one time he was lazy, didn't want to be on a date with uh, the girl there. So he sent the Iron Man suit. But he was out doing other things. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus is not doing that. He's not leaving his suit. He's in his suit. But yet he said, I'll be with you forever. Where two or three are gathered, I'm there. Well, how is that? The person of the Holy Spirit. Think about that, brothers and sisters. So they're, they're getting this revelation that now we have kind of become accustomed to. But we ought not to take it lightly. Jesus is our mediator, as we learned last week. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. Okay, so we have this access. But how does that become real to our actual space and time? Like where we are now? By the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says, I'm going to send you another, another one just like me, just like 
the Father. And what is he going to do? Notice the first attribute of the Holy Spirit. Before we hear about his conviction, before we hear about his, his power doing all of these signs and wonders, what is he going to do? He's going to help you. He is going to energize you. He's going to come alongside of you and pick you up. That's why the Bible says that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. By my spirit. The breath of God. Come on. Let's get some animation to this. The rivers, the fire, the force of God. And yet he is a person. He is a person. Not just a force, not just a river, not just a fire. All of those things come through him. But he's a person. And what we learn about the Holy Spirit, we learn about the heart of God. When we sense we've grieved the Holy Spirit, it's because we've grieved the heart of God. When we have sinned and been in pride and ego and selfishness and not loving as we should, that sense that we feel more than our conscience because how many know you were good in your conscience on a lot of bad days? I could tell somebody off and still be good in my conscience. Everybody was a sinner like that. Or how many know you could act naughty and be good in your conscience? Because you and I were able to mold our conscience to get along with us. It was there and it would throw up red flags, but we, we uh, manipulated it quite a bit, did we not? And some of us even do so now. I mean, come on, hello, New Year's resolution. Anybody manipulating that right now? Well, I don't really need a six-pack. If I could just do that. No, no, I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it. Come on, I'm keeping it. But notice this. Boy, oh, boy, when you get the Holy Spirit and you're born again, how many know that's not your conscience? How many have felt the Holy Spirit just come right alongside of you and bring up things that you never would have done on your own? Because he's helping you. He's coming to help you. And that's why, and I say this with all sincerity because I don't want anybody to give up on Jesus and quit, okay? But for some of you who say this Christianity thing's really hard, it's never really made sense to me, I've tried a bunch of times and it hasn't worked, this is what the old timers would say. Chances are you truly haven't been saved yet. So it's not that it's broke, it's just that you have not really had a born-again experience. And don't feel bad about that. There's some of our heroes, even as we talked about before. John Wesley was a pastor on a mission trip and wasn't saved until he came to America, okay? So, like, this can be your story. And don't run away from it. A true conversion. Because what you'll notice in a true conversion is that the Holy Spirit is now present with you. All of us who have been truly saved, and I do believe you can walk away from that salvation. So sometimes people say, well, if you walked away from it, you were never saved. No, no, I, I do believe truly people can walk away from this, as, as the Bible says, Saul and Judas and so forth. But they had a real encounter with, with the Holy Spirit. They weren't saying what others were saying. Well, I tried it and I never felt it. That's why I always like to ask people, when you say you backslid or you say you stopped serving God, did you have a description of your Christian life like the way I do now? Because if you can't describe your Christian life like the way I do now, then we're not talking about the same thing. If you say, I had a description of the, you know, the Christianity like you, and then I walked away from, hey, I totally get it. I was a backslider. But even as a backslider, I never denied that I had encounters with God or what I thought was at that time a force, you know. As a backslider, I wouldn't put Jesus on it. I would just say, yeah, I would feel a lot of stuff and the force and energy. That's what I was all into, you know. Um, I knew God was real even as a backslider. That's what I'm trying to say. So you, you just be real with yourself. So brothers and sisters, I say this in all sincerity. Have you received the Holy Spirit? 
Because unless you have received the Holy Spirit at rebirth, you're just doing religion. And yes, Christianity is the best religion. Like, do this religiously and forget about all the rest if you're just going to do religion. You know, like if somebody says, uh, hey, man, I don't really believe in that stuff, but where should I go to, where should I go to church, mosque, synagogue? Go to church. Like, that's where you want to be, okay? Like, if you're going to pick a religion, please pick Christianity. But let me just tell you something. Religion without the Spirit of God is like trying to fly a kite with no wind. You're just going to be running around getting nowhere, okay? I mean, there's a lot of good things to do here, but you're not going to have any lift in your spirit or in your soul. It's just going to be you dragging that thing around at the lakefront and me feeling sorry for you because I've seen some people out there, and for whatever reason, whenever you bring out a kite, it's not a windy city anymore. Can I get an amen for some parents frustrated, you know? But the moment, come on, that breath comes. Boy, oh boy, you don't have to run very far to... You ever flown a kite when it was a day like that? And you, whoa! I, you know, some of you know I got a big backyard, and I have a kite like that's the size of me, like a hawk, like eight-foot wingspan. I'm telling you, I've been around there trying to make my kids happy, running around, nothing happening. But those days, it's windy. Seriously, I got like 500 feet of strength. It's just going to burn your fingers. I'm telling the truth. See, Christianity, you must have the Holy Spirit. You must have your helper. You need that advocate. Amen. Can we stand up and give it up today for the Holy Spirit, a ghost name, Holy. Yes, Lord. Band and altar workers, would you come, please, in an attitude of prayer? If you're not yet born again with the Spirit, would you ask the Holy Spirit to come inside of you right now? Come on, say, Holy Spirit, make me new. I want to be born again. I want to be helped. I need an advocate. I believe Jesus died on the cross, rose again for my sins. I'm forgiven by his blood. I repent. Brothers and sisters, say a prayer like that. If you don't know Jesus or if you've backslidden, the rest of us who are already Christians, who know about the Holy Spirit, would you welcome him right now? Just say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I acknowledge you, and I receive your help today. You are my advocate. You are my comforter. You are the one called alongside of me. I am not alone. Come on, confess your confession of faith about the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not to be saved. This happens after you're saved. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is the second work of the Holy Spirit after salvation, you can begin to pray in new languages even right now. And if you haven't received that, you can come forward and we'll pray for you to be baptized in the Spirit. It's not for salvation. It's for empowerment. That's another discussion. But right now, come on, saints, let's pray. Whether it's to be born again or for born-again folks to be closer to the Holy Spirit or for those of us to be empowered by Him right now, just to take the next few moments. And Holy Ghost, my wonderful Holy Ghost, a wind blowing, a wind blowing Blowing from heaven and blowing from heaven. Come on, let's sing it out, oh Holy Ghost. And Holy Ghost, my wonderful, my wonderful Holy Ghost. Oh, wind blowing strong, blowing strong. Blowing from heaven. 
one more time before we dismiss. Father, we thank you for today. We ask you to bless us as we leave from this place, but never your presence. May we have the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere we go, receiving his help. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Can you bless the Lord today, saints? Thank you for service. You are dismissed out this side door. But feel